Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Well, hello to Lucky Episode number 22, where we are chatting with Catherine Caputa. Catherine has towering expertise in branding and marketing from a long, long career in senior leadership on Wall Street. And, and now she speaks and writes about this in terms of you for your own personal and professional brand, You know what you get associated with you in the workplace and, and how to really do that in a smart way. So you're going to learn, one, how smart elevator conversations can, in fact, catapult your career, two, approaches for taking the work out of networking, and three, some sophisticated techniques to subtly communicate your value and your brand. So if you want to check out the, the show notes, the transcripts, the other resources mentioned here, you can find that at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep22. And if you want just a two-minute summary of perspectives from Catherine and every other guest, sign up for the Gold Nugget email list. A quick bit about Catherine. Catherine Caputa is a personal brand strategist, speaker, and author of the newly released Graduate to a Great Career, How Smart Students, New Graduates, and Young Professionals Can Launch Brand You. She's also the author of the best-selling You Are a Brand book, now out in 10 languages. She's the founder of Self Brand, found at selfbrand.com. And previously, she served as a senior vice president and director of global branding and advertising on Wall Street. Here's Catherine. Catherine, thanks so much for appearing here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. It's great to be here, Pete. Well, I know that you get keep a pretty busy schedule with the writing and the speaking and the, the media appearances and such, but can you tell us, what are you doing for fun outside that? Well, I'm putting in my garden right now since the beginning of summer, so I've been outside a lot, you know, planting my tomatoes and stuff like that. So that's been keeping me busy when I'm not on the road or writing. Oh, delicious. So if you are traveling, do you have a designated person who can be trusted with a garden? Um, <laughs> not any, any family members, I assure you. <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, you know, I live in Manhattan, but we have this cabin upstate and we first got it. My husband was out there. My son was out there, but you know, I'm the only person out there now. So yes, things get a little dry when I'm away. So I'm trying to make shorter trips in the summer. So that's it. Oh, good, good. Well, I wouldn't want any good tomatoes to die in right. the in the heat of battle or, or doing right. business. So, right. you know, speaking of, I guess, dire consequences, <laughs> how's that for a segue uh, with right. regard to plants dying? You share in your, in your new book, Graduate to a Great Career, some kind of dire economic data uh, associated with kind of new graduates and young professionals. Could you recap some of that for us here? Well, I mean, the whole reason I wrote the book is I started meeting, you know, people who just graduated from college, including people with incredible credentials and top schools, and they're slugging away six, nine months a year looking for uh, that first entry-level job. So it just struck me, you know, it's a very tough job market today for new grads for, you know, it's pretty tight for all of us, although it's slightly improving. But it's still a very, very competitive market. And a lot of companies, you've know, got the gig economy, too. You're not being offered a full-time job or a long-term job or benefits. Um, so it, it's different for you know young adults today and new graduates. So that's what 
kind of got me interested in that whole thing. And one thing I discovered is, you know, a lot of people who are very good in academia aren't necessarily good at marketing and branding themselves. So that's what led to the new book, you know, graduate to a great career. Okay. That's, that's great. And so, well, it's not great. It's bad news. It's kind of spooky in some ways, but can you tell us a, a bit here in one way, there's, I guess, genuine skill gaps in terms of employers want young professionals to have certain things and they're not seeing them. And then there's a whole nother part of the game, which is your Im- impressions, brand, right. reputation. So I think we're going to spend most of our time on the latter point. But but before we do, can you speak a little bit to what are some of the, the surveys and research pieces saying are some skill-based reasons why folks are having trouble uh, finding great opportunities. Well, you know, in the book I talk about hard power versus soft power. And hard power are the hard tangible things you can put on your resume, like your skills and the courses that you've taken, the internships that you've had. And soft power is all the marketing things you need to do to get a job today. But, you know, hard power is important too. And I think that, you know, one of the things that uh, the Chronicle of Higher Education in the study they did, they found that hiring managers are twice as interested, but twice as much weight on practical skills and on-the-job learning that people had in internships as they do to coursework and GPA. So you really want to think of, you know, hard power, you know, which is the hard tangible things on your resume and soft power, which is branding power, you know, the ability to market yourself well and communicate your value. Oh, sure. And, and I totally agree with that. And I have similar thoughts when I'm evaluating resumes for candidates. And I think I, I like seeing a nice GPA or a fancy school because like, okay, mm-hmm. it tells me you're smart. You could get in, you could handle your right. own and not flunk out. That's good. But then what I like even more are, are seeing great bullet points with ideally numbers, quantified results right. in terms of improvement in efficiencies or, or processing or cost reductions or revenue increases. And it's like, oh yeah. This person really knows how, how it's done and, and gets it. So, so that's cool. And in the book, I also talk about how to put together a great bullet. So, you know, you want to have a metric in there. You, wanna, you don't want to just say job function. You want to talk results, you know, oh, and I, mm-hmm. quantify it and bring it to life in some way. Oh, I've said that so many times to so many clients. So, yes, we're on the same song sheet there. Right. Oh, I just used some business jargon. What's that mean for my brand? <laughs> I don't know. But well, tell me, tell me this. So when it comes to branding, so that's, that's your previous right. book, you are a brand. And so I guess when I hear that, I think, well, yeah, that makes sense. There's all sorts of associations with, with you as a person and your professional and what you're bringing to the table and, and what it's kind of like to have the, the experience of, of working with, with Catherine or Pete. But I also chuckle a little bit because I can recall a clip from the TV series, Entourage, and we'll, we'll link that in the show notes, right. in which Vincent Chase, the, the star actors, maybe shopping around for some different agents, and they all give him the same presentation, like McDonald's, Apple, BMW, mm-hmm. Vincent Chase. <laughs> right. And so I'd love to get your take on that as a personal branding expert, sort of in what ways are the you know models and thought processes associated with marketing and branding products absolutely sensible carryovers and what needs to be modified or adjusted a little bit there. So it makes sense. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I view personal branding as, you know, knowing your value and being to own your value and communicate your value and market it. Um, 
And I think, you know, having a branding background, you know, I worked at two ad agencies and I was a corporate branding director and advertising that, you know, it's really using the principles and strategies from the commercial world of brands to, you know, build your own brand. And I think, you know, it's using a lot of the ideas about standing for something, knowing what your value is, being able to articulate it in a sentence, you know, that's memorable, that, you know, that, that communicates a value added, you know, it's becoming a little bit famous, you know, that uh, when everyone's going to Google you. So when they Google you that they'll see a, a strong brand profile online versus not, you know, so it's all the things that you can do, um, you know, name your ideas, communicate your ideas, things like that to sort of stand out in the marketplace and differentiate you. You know, we talked about it. We're in a very com- hyper competitive world today you know, from other people and what, what you bring to the, the job that other people don't. Okay. Well, I'd love to dig into each of those points and, and then some. So about how you articulate that and becoming a little bit famous. So I guess, how do you articulate that? In, in the course of you're, you're shaking hands with someone, you're just meeting them, or, or they say, hey, we're going to go around the table and introduce yourself. Like, wh- what does that sentence or two sound like? Could you give us some examples or yeah, best you know, practices? Yeah, I can give you some examples, but, you know, it can happen anywhere. I mean, one client that I worked with told me this story. Of, you know, like a lot of us, she'd go into work early every day, and in the elevator, sometimes the CEO would get in the elevator with her, and she was afraid to talk, but mm. also afraid not to talk, you know, so... She, you know, what would Gina do? She would talk about the weather. You know, she was working with her on personal branding. And then she told me that another day she got in early and then the dreaded situation happened again. The CEO walked in the elevator. And, but at that time, another colleague, John, got in the elevator too. And he sees the CEO and he goes, hello, Bob, I'm John Smith. You know, you don't know me, but I'm, you know, I'm uh, part of the sales team and, you know, the XYZ area. We just had a great meeting with a client and they're going to expand the business they're giving to us. And, um, you know, the CEO looked at him and said, John, you just made my day, you know, and left. And, you know, Gina told me, you know, now I get it. What, what you mean when you're talking about personal branding? You know, what am I doing? I'm branding myself to the CEO as the weather girl, you know, and my colleague <laughs> is branding himself as the next VP. So, you know, it's, it's, it's that ability to have a conversation with colleagues, but also senior executives not being afraid of them. And, you know, in in fact, she told me later, she started working on personal branding. And instead of talking about the weather in the elevator, she talked about a project that she and her team was working on. And, you know, it made all the difference in her career, because she said the CEO recommended her, you know, for a special fast track uh, program that they had for up and coming executives. And, you know, it led to her getting assigned, you know, uh, a major division, you know, to run eventually. So, you know, it's really that ability to, you know, communicate and talk about your activities and communicate your value. So that's what's what's so important. So what you want to do. So, you know, how do you find out, you know, what what's your brand idea? Because one of the points I make in the way I look at branding is branding is kind of attaching an idea to a product. So you mm-hmm. want to attach an idea to yourself. Okay. And that, that's a different idea from other people. Every brand wants, you know, we're all unique. You want it to be authentic, to come out of who you are and what's special about you, your special sauce. And, you know, you want it to be relevant to that company and to that business that you're in. So, for example, 
one of uh, clients that I worked with, she branded herself as an empowering leader. She was a strong, you know, team builder and she empowered people and they did, you know, and a lot of her people got promoted, you know, and, and went up the pipeline. So, um, so that's the way she positioned herself as the empowering leader. And she gave examples when she was up for her annual review and things like that. And it led to her getting assigned a lot of other departments that weren't as well run because she had such a, a strong reputation. So, you know, you want to, you know, attach an idea. Oh, that's fun. An idea so to yourself. I like that example. So I, I'm an empowering leader. And right now I'm thinking of my buddy Jeremy, who just is, he made a personal mission statement. This is just more so as just self-reflection, thinking about what kind of rules and, and things he found most satisfying and, and, and life-giving. He said his, his life mission was to something about enriching and inspiring through laughs, leadership, and love. And uh, yeah. mm-hmm. some people are like, oh my gosh, that's so cheesy. Come on, bro. <laughs> you know, right. and then others are like, yeah, that's Jeremy. That is who right. he is and what he is about that. You, that's spot on. So I think it's cool. And it's interesting because both in the case of Jeremy and in your example of the, you know, I'm an empowering leader. Right. It seems like that may not be something you sort of broadcast out loud in those specific terms to everyone, right. I guess, and know your audience and adjust it. I mean, that I think provides a great internal compass for, okay, these are the opportunities I'm going to go after and how I'm going to prioritize my day accordingly. But I'm wondering how, how would you, if that was your brand about the empowering leader, what might be some different ways you say that or inform people that that is the right. case? Well, I think, you know, no one likes a braggart. So if somebody's walking around a company, you know, I'm an empowering leader, it's (laughs) probably going to be a turnoff, that kind of thing. Obviously, when you're in an annual review with your manager or you're pitching yourself for a stretch stretch assignment, I mean, that's a very legitimate thing to say and give an example. For example, I had this team and we were, we had a deadline and it got shortened by three months and this is how everybody pulled together and you know, this person is now a VP at the company. In those kind of situations, it's great. So in other situations, I think a good way to do it is uh, talk about it in a third-party way. So, for example, you know, the client was so pleased with the, the project that the team did that they invited us out to a special luncheon celebration at Le Cirque or, you know, something like that. So it's, you know, not bragging about yourself but telling a story that's like a third party did this and, and telling a story about it. You know, we had, it was really a great thing that the team did. And so make it not about you, mm-hmm. but about the team and the project and, you know, and bring it to life as if you were filming it, you know, and here, here's how things really got crazy at one point and how we resolved it all. So don't make it about you, make it about the team, tell stories, you know, use a little humor too. I mean, I had a client once that told the story afterwards that, you know, the client was so pleased that the client nominated him for an award in, in, in their industry. And, and he won the, award, won the award and was, you know, went up to receive it and, and sort of stumbled up the stairs or something like that. But the way he told it was, you know, with a little humor about, so it wasn't just, hey, I got this big award, but, you know, I was a klutz going up there. So it really made the person more likable and relatable and more like, you know, the guy next door kind of thing. So I think, you know, it's, it's, you don't want to go around, you know, as a braggart, nobody likes that, but it's, you know, not being afraid, just like that elevator story I'm talking about. In fact, you know, one of the things, Pete, is 
I've given that, uh, I've mentioned that story in a couple of talks where a CEO of a company was in the audience and two of them have come up to me and said, I love that elevator story because I hate getting in the elevator because all my employees freeze up and no one wants to talk to me, you know? Oh, absolutely. At the top. So you want to be the kind of person that, you know, that they're human beings and they actually want to hear what's going on in your department because, you know, it's often hard to get a lot of that, that information. And, oh, and I was going to say that. Branding. Exactly. They're human yeah. beings. They have that interest. They, they want yeah. to know. And, and sometimes yeah. they're so high up, they don't know. And it's a useful, valuable piece of perspective that they're getting. So, so everybody right. wins and, and that's fun. So right. uh, along these lines, I'd also like to hear when it comes to you, are you articulating that you're not necessarily just like, you know, throwing out the brand statement up front, but you're, you're noting that's what you're about. And you're, you're taking steps to, right. to live and be that and realize that as well as identifying particular examples and instances and, and trying to showcase that, whether it's a, a fun right. story or whatnot. So, so that all makes sense is like, it's about kind of having some upfront planful, proactive focus right. about yeah, what's it yours, can be, you know, useful too, when you're talking about your brand, like to use a metaphor, for example, a woman I know who's in market research is very good. Her specialty is women, you know, and women are the largest consumers of products anyway. But her strength is getting people to open up and talk about why they buy brands and why they like this one and don't like that one and whatever. So she says, my clients call me the Oprah of Madison Avenue. So there's this kind of analogy. She's like Oprah, who, you know, is very empathetic and gets people to talk in a show. You know, she gets these people to talk about brands, but also she softens it by my clients call me that, you know, it's not that I came up with that name, but my clients call me that. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of ways to do it where it can be natural, but also memorable. And, and frankly, once, she, once I heard her say that, I've never forgotten what her, you know, brand is all about. Oh, that is good. That's good. And I think that's fun. If you can just share generally, you know, what, Hey, I, you know, I think this is really a point of strength. In fact, some people have called me this is it works well as opposed to what was there a Seinfeld episode where he kept saying they call me T-bone people call me T-bone trying to give himself a nickname. Right. Right. That's fun. So yeah, no, it is fun. Or I'm a cross between this and that, that kind of thing, you know, so you want to do, in fact, when I was starting out in the advertising business, I had a, I had previously worked at a uh, art museum and the Asian art area, and I was trying to break into advertising. And, you know, every place I went, they just said, no, no, you know, because advertising at ad agencies, you know, it's, it's viewed as a glamorous field. So a lot of people are trying to get these entry-level jobs. And I didn't have a particularly strong network. But anyway, I finally got a few interviews, and I finally came up with a pitch that was, you know, I'm a marketer for difficult products. And I compared the background that I had and the art museum working in Asian art exhibits is that was like a difficult product because, you know, in Western culture, it's you had to be more creative about marketing these shows and coming up with interesting titles and interesting, you know, PR and marketing plans. Um, so and that got me my first job in the ad business before when I was just saying I'm looking for an entry level job. And I just worked at, you know, the Seattle Art Museum beforehand. I, I didn't get anywhere. But marketer for difficult products, you know, every agency has difficult products that are harder to market. So I said, you know, put me on those tough assignments. So, you, you know, you want to have something to say to pitch yourself and a reason that it's true, you know, and that was my story. And it got me my first job. Oh, lovely. We've covered some of the marketing yourself, messaging, humble brag, storytelling elements. 
Could you right. share a little bit about how one goes about building a network of sort of champions and sponsors who who help advocate for you and support you and your brand and, and, and what you're about? Right. I think it's very important to have different kinds of networks, and I, probably your most important is your strategic network. And in that, you want to have, you know, people that are mentors. And I think, you know, it's not, you know, a lot of companies have a program where you can get a mentor, and that's great. But I don't think you want to leave it at that. And I think that, like, the, the elevator lady that I talked about, Gina, she actually developed a relationship, a st- you know, a strategic relationship with the CEO of her company because she started talking to him when, about other things in the weather. So he became, you know, she didn't go and say, well, you'll be my mentor. But that's the way the relationship developed. And, you know, he helped her a lot. So I think it's, you know, reaching out to various people for your strategic network. Some of them will be strong enough that they can be recommenders and recommend you to specific jobs. And that's very, very important. For example, a friend of mine was interviewing for a job at her law firm. And it was one of those situations where you interview with five different partners in the law firm. And my friend Sherry said, you know, I'm perfect for this new position because of my background. And I think I'll really get it. She interviewed with all five. And, you know, we know how this movie ends. Another lawyer in the firm named Michael got the job and whose background Sherry felt wasn't as good as hers. And so what made the difference? Well, hey, she interviewed for the job and Michael networked for the job. And so he had the interview with the five people, too, but he also asked several other lawyers in the company that he'd worked with on various cases to call members of the committee that they were close to and lobby for him. And he even knew of a, through his network of a lawyer that at an outside firm that was friends with uh, a member on the panel and, and reached out to that person and said, gee, I really want this job. And, you know, he got the job. And my friend Sherry said to me afterwards, you know, hey, I don't think that's fair. You know, it Mm. should just be about who's best qualified. But hey, the business world, I said, think if you were on that committee and you received several calls about Michael and no one called about you, you know, that would be a pretty strong thing to, to ignore. You know, it's a very powerful thing. And of course, in these kind of situations, no one's going to tell you, hey, you can get other people you know, that are part of your network to phone in and, and sort of talk you up. Um, but you've got to think of things like that. And, you know, it's, so it's very important. So I think in a network, you know, there's, you know, as I said, you want to have recommenders in your, the strategic network. You want to have mentors. You want to have also people that are kind of at your own level that are also have similar ambitions that you have. And these are people that maybe you have a more, casual relationship with that you could text them about, hey, any ideas or can I show you this presentation I'm developing or I'm giving a talk to XYZ industry group. Can you give me some pointers on how to make it better? So that's why that kind of colleague or ally network that I call it is so critical in the strategic network. And you also want to have some people there that you know know a lot of people and like to connect people. But I think a lot of people you know, one thing I say in my books is, you know, take the work out of networking and stop making it about, you know, getting contacts so much as about building, re- you know, relationships, you know, where you can learn something that's kind of interesting and help each other, you know. And I think you'll find having a strong and big and varied network, you know, is a lifesaver, particularly, in, you know, today when there's so much 
dynamism in, you know, every company. And, you know, it's so many jobs now. You know, the U.S. Department of Labor Statistics says 70 percent of new jobs, you know, come through networking. So that's a powerful number. You just can't rely on, you know, job boards or things like that. You know, the hidden job market of unadvertised jobs, people feel, you know, it's the majority of jobs and it's the best jobs. And you can only get to them through networking. So it's, it's very critical. Oh, lovely. Before we shift gears then to the Fast Faves segment, is there anything else you just want to make sure we don't forget to say here? Well, I want to talk a little bit about some of the specific tactics like visual identity. You know, in the branding world, you know, there are a lot of attentions put on the way a product looks. You know, Apple, of course, you know, made these beautiful looking products, you know, and you want to own them because they look so great. And just package design is very important. But, you know, having a strong visual identity is important for people, too. And even having a trademark look, you know, look at the presidential election that we have going on right now. You know, Pete, I ask you, what's Donald Trump's, you know, trademark visual identity? He's got a, he's got a red hat that says Make America Great Again. Yeah. And he's got that <laughs> hair, you know, he's almost every interview talks about his hair, you know, and, so, and his fingers. <laughs> <laughs> so I say, hey, that hair is a very powerful branding device for him. You know, he doesn't want to change it. And, you know, and Hillary has her pantsuit. So they have, you know, a very strong, you know, visual identity. And, you know, I talk in my books about the beauty principle because they find that brands, physical brands in the branding world, sell better that look good. There's a halo effect. When something looks good, we right. think it's better. We think what's inside is better. And we even think there's more volume inside it, like cereals and stuff like that. The, the fact of the matter is the way something's packaged has nothing to do with what's inside, but it's all these perceptions that are built up. And it's the same way of people that, you know, if you package yourself attractively, and I think we all can do that because, you know, being interesting looking is smart mm -hmm. visual identity as well. There's a halo effect. And, you know, people will think there's, there was a study done by two economists, one at Harvard and the other one at Wesleyan called the beauty principle. And it was done with people and they created a mock labor market and they found that the attractive people got the jobs because when people took the time to dress for the part and, and look good, people assumed they were smarter, they were more productive, they were kinder. They gave them a larger starting salary. So it's important to think about. We may think, hey, visual identity, that's superficial. Why should it count? But it's a part of you know, the soft power you know, that, that we talked about at the beginning. And the other, you know, counterpart to visual identity is verbal identity. You know, you want to own a word or own a phrase to be known, you know, just like Donald Trump, you mentioned earlier, Pete, you know, make America great again. A lot of people, that slogan resonates with them and they remember it. But it's important too, you know, to name your ideas, have things that people associate with you. You know, I had one client that his word was accountability and he was in a company where, you know, they, they had some problems with client service, and he introduced new ways of tracking things and metrics that improved account servicing a lot. And so, you know, it played into the strength that he wanted his brand to stand for, you know, in terms of accountability. I hear you. Well, well thank you. Well, these are a, a bunch of fun perspectives. And so now to shift into the fast faves here, could you start us off by sharing what's a favorite quote that inspires you again and again? Well, the quote I use all the time is, you know, you are a brand. And I think that it inspires me because, you know, my whole business is built on, you know, helping people empower themselves to be more successful. And how about a favorite study or piece of research you cite often? The beauty principle, 
you know, because I think it's, it's something we don't like because we don't, we think it's superficial the way things look and we're all guilty of it. We all say, don't judge a book by its cover, but we all do it, but we all can package ourselves to, uh, to effect. So that's my favorite research. Well, and speaking of books and covers, uh, could you share with us what's a favorite book of yours? Okay, well, I guess if I'm reading for pleasure, it's, it's Ernest Hemingway, The Sun Also Rises, is a book I reread. My original background was in Japanese studies, and The Tale of Genji is a long book written in the 8th century that I tend to reread once mm. a year for inspiration. And how about a favorite habit or personal practice of yours that's helpful for your effectiveness? Um, reading the news every morning, and I think the internet is so great for that now, but I... I love, you know, I start with tabloids and then I get to the serious stuff, you know, ending with the Wall Street Journal and then looking at different opinion pieces and things like that. So I, I like to get a snapshot of what's going on in the world every morning. Mm-hmm. And a favorite nugget that you share that in, in your books, it maybe it gets Kindle highlighted in your speeches, it gets people nodding their heads and retweeting, you know, what might be that quotable gem? You know, I do a lot. I'm a woman and I do a lot of talks to women's groups. And one of the stories I tell is that, you know, we women are very good at most things, but we're not good at branding ourselves. And in fact, one study done by a male uh, social scientist said that men are so good at branding themselves, sometimes they even, Pete, believe it or not, they exaggerate their (laughs) accomplishments, what he called the male hubris effect. And we women tend to downplay our achievements, what he called the female humility effect. So I like to talk about that little research study, too, because I think it's so true. And it's, as I keep telling women, we have to not be so modest Mm. and use the art of the humble brag. That's great. Thank you. And what would be the ideal way to find you if folks want to learn more or reach out? Is is it best on Twitter or your website or what would you prefer? The, the best thing is my website, selfbrand, S-E-L-F-B-R-A-N-D. But I do tweet, and it's at Catherine Caputa. Okay. My name is hard to spell because it's Catherine with a C and Caputa with a K. You know, it is so true. I've wanted to reverse that about four times during the course yes, of setting this yes. up. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And how about a favorite challenge or parting word or, or call to action that uh, you would issue forth to folks seeking to be more awesome at their jobs? Well, you know, it's really all about authenticity and having the courage to be who you are and make yourself a brand in the best sense of the word, standing for something that's different, authentic, and relevant to the market. Okay. Well, Catherine, this has been so much fun. I wish you much luck uh, with your books and speaking and more. Uh, This has been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. It was great to be here. Okay, well, I hope you're ready to do some smart, sensible, uh, humble bragging in the right ways to think about the ideas you can attach to yourself and have that work for you in a cool, sensible, uplifting kind of branding way. And again, if you want to check out some of the resources, transcripts, items mentioned, and links, you can find those at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep22. Have a good one. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.